I was excited. Uh, Pastor uh, Denville called me, and yes, I'm older and fatter than Denville, so uh, yeah, you can't confuse the two of us at all. Um, but uh, he asked me to preach for him, and I was excited because you know he just began to share, "Hey, we're in the Sermon on the Mount series." Which, whenever you think scripture, when you start diving into the New Testament, you start diving into the Gospels. When you get to the Sermon on the Mount, it this is a piece of revolutionary um, scripture. This is a bit of scripture that you know, as Jesus walks in, this is some radical things he's beginning to explain to those who are around him. And as we dive into the scripture that we have today, we're gonna we're gonna see him taking us in a direction that challenges the very thought process that sometimes we hold. Um, as just normal, average, everyday Joes. I mean, just God is always calling us into a state of change. We're always being, we're always in a process of growth. And I hope that that's, that's who we're called to be. I mean, we're called to be different, called to stand out, called to move in a whole different direction oftentimes from what's going on in the world around us. So because I'm that guy and we are reading out of what I would call those red letters, I'm going to do, ask you to do me a favor. If you're able, please stand as we're going to read God's word this morning. If you can, if you can, it's okay. Jesus understands. Jesus said these words in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verses 38 through 48. You have heard the law that says punish, the punishment must match the injury. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your cloak too. If a soldier demands you to carry his gear for a mile, carry it for two. Give those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. You have heard the law says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will, bring, you will be acting as two, true children of the Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both evil and good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your truth as it applies, uh, we apply it to our lives, we open our hearts to you. Lord, help us to focus our attention on your word this morning, help us to grow, help us to walk out of this room new and different. We thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You know, one of the most challenging things is when you look at a passage of scripture like this and we start seeing this challenge for us to move in a different direction. The, the counter-cultural move to loving our enemies, to do good to those who may do harm to us, to, to live a life that is a reflection of the love of God into other people. I was uh, preparing for the sermon. I begin to remember a, a circumstance that happened a couple years ago in Dallas, Texas. This young police officer who was just coming off duty after 13 hours of being on was driving home, just got off the phone with her husband because he was an officer, and she pulled into their apartment complex and parked her car. She got out of her car, got in the elevator, and got off the elevator and walked into her apartment, finding a man in her apartment. Threatened, she pulled her sidearm, her issued gun, and she shot and killed the man in her, in her home. Then she realized that she had made a grave mistake. In her fatigue, she got off on the wrong floor. 
and entered into the wrong house and shot a completely innocent man. As you can imagine, she was arrested and she was charged for committing murder. And in her hearing, and her final part of her hearing, the brother of the man that she had killed asked to speak at the funeral, or at the uh, sentencing. As he got up, he looked at the young lady and he said to her, I only want what is best for you. And I want you to know that I forgive you. That I know that you meant no real harm. That this is just a horrible mistake. He said to her that, I haven't said this to my family, but if it was my decision to make, you would not go to jail at all. I only want what is best for you. Then he asked the judge to allow him to do something that was unheard of. He asked the judge if it was okay for him to hug her. And so they stood in the middle of the courtroom, hugging it out. After her sentence of 10 years in prison, the judge left everyone in the courtroom and he went back to chambers, walked into his chambers, took the Bible off his desk, walked back into the courtroom, walked up to the young lady, hugged her and gave her his own personal Bible, something completely unheard of, of a judge to do. He hugged the young lady and he said to her in her ear, this event does not define you. How you move from here does. That is the act of love. That's the act of grace. That's the act of mercy. You see, the kind of relationship we're called to live, the kind of person we're called to be, starts us off in this message when we say these things. We are called by Jesus to be different. What is different about us? One of the greatest hindrances of people towards Christianity is found not in our words, but in our lack of walking on our faith in action. The lack of a consistency between what we say and what we do. The powerful truth is that Jesus, Jesus and I cannot occupy the same throne. Jesus is either completely Lord of my life or he is not. And if he's Lord of my life, then the things like this that he asked me to do are things that I should go above and beyond to do even more. It's a hard thing to live out our lives. It's a hard thing to embrace this idea of loving our enemies. It's a hard thing to do living in a world where it's easy for us to be caught up in the normality of being angry and violent and responding that way. Because there are genuinely people in our world that harm us. There are people who gossip about us, say things about us, do things to us. And all these people, in, 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 the, in the way the world looks at it, we're justified for having our anger. And we're justified responding that way. But if we're going to be the people that we're called to be, if we're going to walk out this journey that God has called us to walk out, if we're going to be the people that God has called us to be, we have to learn how to be different. When I, uh, I didn't share this in any of the other services, but I'll share this to you. I didn't come to, uh, to being a Christian until I was 21. And I saw Christians in my life, and I wanted nothing to do with them. Because they would say one thing and do another. And as I was saying earlier, there was such a large cons- inconsistency in what I saw and what I heard. And I'm going to tell you right now that I wish that I was a greater representation of this walk of God. I wish that I was perfect at how I'm doing it, but I'm not. I struggle just like everybody else does. Just because I'm standing up here doesn't mean anything. My life was radically changed by this idea of loving my enemy. This, my, my life had a radical impact in it. 
I grew up a Navy brat. I grew up on Navy bases. My dad was in the Navy for over 20 years, and uh, and I rebelled. I wanted nothing to do with the Navy. There was no way I was going to float on a boat. Um, I'd rather dig a hole in the ground and lay in the ground, so I up and joined the Army when I was 18. Um, I preferred being in the Army. It was my way of life. And uh, a few months, uh, I got saved in March of 1990. And if you know 90, 90 is a kind of a kind of a something big happened in 1990 and 91. Uh, shortly after I became a Christian, I met my you know I met my wife and then got married. And then two months after I was married, in October of 1990, I jumped on a 747 heading to Dahrain, Saudi Arabia, to to participate in Operation Desert Shield. I was assigned to a small medical detachment that was a part of the 82nd 101st Airborne. I was on the furthest northern flank of the entire operation. I was a part of a a detachment, a task force that was to keep the 13 Iraqi divisions from up north wanting to come south across the Euphrates River. In January 1991, when we invaded into Iraq, I was in the first wave that went up into the up in, and our job was to treat Iraqi POWs and uh, Iraqi and American wounded. In about seven days of combat, I treated over 5,000 Iraqi POWs. I was lucky if I slept maybe two hours a day. I was constantly on the go. But I remember this one day, it was about halfway through the invasion, and uh, we had just finished attacking an airfield, and we were taking in the wounded from the Iraqis, and it was just an onslaught. And in, in the time that I would take, I had my Bible with me, and I, was, uh, I had learned enough Arabic that I could communicate with most of the uh, Iraqis coming in to figure out if they were sick and wounded, what was wrong, and if I could treat it real quick, I would. If not, I'd send them over to the surgical tent to get taken care of. And so I was the guy who was seeing all of these Iraqis coming through the door. And so, as you imagine, I was in one spot for a lot of time, and so I kept my Bible with me, and I would, in between waves of soldiers and boredom, I would read my Bible. As a brand new Christian, I was just absorbing the Bible. I think I read it through three times, cover to cover, in the six months I was in Iraq and Saudi Arabia. I was just eating up Scripture. But my day would be forever changed in this moment when I would look at the world a lot differently than the world I had seen before this time because as I was standing in that room, this Iraqi came walking in the door and laying on the gurney next to me was my Bible and he looked at the Bible and he pointed at it and he pointed at me and he said, Christian. And I said, yes. And he pulled down his t-shirt and hanging around his neck was a small wooden cross. And he pointed himself, he said, Christian. Then he pointed at me and he goes, brother. How do I hate my brother? This is a man that one day I will stand in the throne room of heaven, side by side, shoulder to shoulder, singing praise to God. This is my brother. But guess what? Every one of those soldiers who came through that were my enemy were my my brothers. Everyone who I see outside these doors are my brothers and my sisters. They're ours. And what we're called to be and who we're called to be it's way bigger often, way bigger than we often meet up to. Our standard sometimes is a lot lower than it should be. You see, one of the things that we have to understand too is in Luke ten twenty four through twenty nine. There's a conversation that Jesus is having, and and this is how it goes. He says this: I tell you that many prophets and kings long to see what you see, and they don't see it, and they long to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. You see, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? 
Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? And how do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. You see, the, the reality is, is that when, <laughs> I, I, I've told teenagers this for years as a youth pastor. I, I told them, I said, listen, this is how messed up we are as humans. So Moses comes down from, from you know, the mountain with ten commandments. We can't get ten right. I mean, literally, we can't get the ten right. So what did Jesus do? He broke it down to two. Love God. Love your neighbor. Think about it. First five ten, of the ten commandments, all about loving God. Next five, all about loving your brother. Get it? Ten to two. You see, in another part of Scripture, we see a conversation happening where Jesus is challenged, and they ask him, who is my neighbor? Who do I count as my neighbor? And we see this, him begin to tell the story of the, the Good Samaritan. We see him begin to describe this situation where a Jew is on a trip, and he, he gets um, accosted and beat up by a bunch of robbers and bandits, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. And as he's laying there in the dirt and the mud of the road, and bloodied and beaten to half to death, a Jewish leader walks by and goes to the other side of the road to avoid coming in contact with him. Then another person comes by. And then who is it that stops to render aid? A Samaritan of all people. A lowly Samaritan stops, gets off his donkey or out of his truck, and renders aid to the fallen man. He binds his wounds, he gives, he washes him up, he puts him on his donkey, takes him to the tavern down the street, and then as he gets there, he tells him, hey, let's put him in a room, I'll pay for it. If he occurs any more debt while he's with you, when I come back through, I will take care of it. He doesn't just go to this piece, he goes above and beyond the, the normal. He's laying it out for all of us that we should stop just doing the marginal, the minimum, and go beyond it. And I'm going to tell you something. You notice that throughout Scripture, Jesus has a tendency to smack the religious leaders around a bit. Because think about it. He is talking to Jews and telling them a story and painting a Samaritan in positive light. These people hated each other. Jews would go around the country instead of cutting through it, even if it took them longer to do it. There was no love lost between these two people. We even see the relationship that Jesus has with the woman at the well. You see, oftentimes what happens is that we live in our own personal prejudice. We're comfortable in our own personal prejudices. We're comfortable with only experiencing our relationship with people that are like-minded and that we feel comfortable with. But heaven forbid that we ever go outside those comfort zones. One of my favorite things to do to teenagers is to take them on foreign mission trips. You want to see their worlds totally radically flipped upside down? You take a group of kids to Guatemala and you walk them in the middle of nowhere. I've been on the side of a mountain in a little town called Chicabioc in the southwestern portion of Guatemala with 30 kids doing ministry to Mayan Indians in a po- an impoverished area that my students were completely blown. They came home and personally raised over $5,000 to put a clean well into that village. The youth group kids, without any help from adults. 
They had a vision beyond themselves. They saw them as their neighbors. I've taken kids into Nicaragua and Leon, Nicaragua, and I've taken kids into the middle of a, 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 a village that there's a squatter village that was let inside an old landfill next to a sewer treatment plant that when the rain hit, the sewage would wash into the village. And my students and I were walking down with big giant bags of rice and beans in the middle of a torrential downpour, and I couldn't drag a teenager out of there. Loving our neighbors. Seeing others as more valuable than ourselves. Having a view of other people that surpasses what we think of our own selves. What if we got to a place in our lives where we considered ourselves less than others? The whole adage, if we want to be first, we've got to be last. What you do unto the least of these, you do unto me. You see, oftentimes what happens is it's not in our words... It's in our actions. You know, one of the things that we, we embrace as being a, uh, at Edgewater is the fact that I'm not sure of your interactions on, as it goes day to day for you, but because of our location there on the corner of Cochran and Tamiami Trail, we have a heavy, 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 heavy influx of homeless in our, in our church. Um, it is a part of our DNA. It's a part of our culture. It's a part of who we are as a staff. Um, I mean, it's just, it's just ingrained in who we are. But here's the thing. How often do we see a homeless person as a distraction or an inconvenience? We don't know their stories. We don't know where they're from. And trust me, we've dealt with very... I'm I'm the church bouncer for some reason. I have no idea why they make me the church bouncer. Sometimes, sometimes you have to deal with certain individuals that have struggles. They may be off meds or they're, they, I've had guys in the room where I've had to get called out of my office because he's a bit combative. And Judy and Marge, when Marge was still working with us, I mean, these are two ladies having to deal with a pretty good sized guy who's grumpy. And he gets ungrumpy when I come out of the office. But I can't go in there and pick him up by the trousers and run him out the front door of the church. That's just not going to work right, right? So i got to figure out how I'm going to help him walk out the front door and him be okay with walking out the front door. And it usually includes me giving him a bunch of food and water. But it's how we interact. Because I'm going to tell you something. I understand frustration. I understand it. I drive down Tamiami Trail like all y'all do too. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't stare at me. You know that person that cut you off or almost took your car out. Right? I know you're praying. Lord, get even. Lord, give them a hemorrhoid. <laughs> Let's not do that. <laughs> we run into things in our lives. I mean, all kinds of things are going to challenge us. How are you going to choose to respond to it? How are you going to see them? You see, I can come up here and I can give you the three quick and easy steps on how to be more peaceful and loving to the universe, but the reality is, is I'm not you. How I need to handle James is not the way you're going to handle yourself. I know where I, I'm weak at. It's Tammy and Betrayal. I just stay off of it. I moved. I moved out to Northport now, and now I have to drive down, you know, Toledo Blade, which is just as bad. And then I have to hit uh, Tammy. Before, I only lived a mile from the church. It was easy. I didn't have to hit that. 
You know, I wish I got it right more than I got it wrong. You see, it's... how we understand who we're called to be because here's the reality of it all I'm blessed that my theological heritage is extremely rich I wasn't raised in church my I was saved I, I met Christ in an, an Assemblies of God church I went to an Assemblies of God Bible College I went to Regent University for seminary so I mean I've been inundated with a charismatic Pentecostal past and I'm going to tell you that no one deals with the Holy Spirit like the Assemblies the Pentecostals do there's just an understanding about the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we allow to play richly in how we live it out I always joke that if you want to learn how to do Bible or Sunday school class, right, you go to hang out with the Baptist. If you want to learn how to do a great dinner and social justice stuff, you go hang out with the Methodists. If you want to learn how to sing and go crazy in worship, you go hang out with the African American churches and the Pentecostal churches. Right? Nobody organizes a dinner better than you all. Just saying. I am the testimony of that. That's right. But the thing about understanding is who we're called to be is God just didn't say, hey, I want you to do all these things and then leave you hanging. The beautiful thing about Acts chapter 2 in the upper room when the Holy Spirit descends upon the apostles, it was more than just a symbolic act. It was a moment in our history where God was saying, I'm no longer just coming and staying for a moment at leaving. I'm now coming and I'm staying. And there was a reason why the Holy Spirit came and descended upon them. It's a reason why when we are we meet Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. Because guess what? We are now, because of that, empowered to serve. We are now empowered by the Holy Spirit to have the ability to do the things He's called us to do. You see, one of the challenges that I say to Christians is, I, I can't stand when I hear the word, I can't. Because if you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, it's not I can't, it's I won't. I mean, honestly, being the family pastor at Edgewater, one of our biggest challenges at the church right now is our children's ministry and our youth ministries are growing at alarming rates. I don't have enough human beings, adults, to put in the children and youth ministry wings to help those ministries continue to grow. We're hitting the top end of our growth line because we don't have enough of the adult help that we need to make it happen. And I've had more than one occasion where I can't. No, you can. You just choose not to. You won't. It's like if we're called to love our enemies, if we're called to love our neighbors, if we're called to do this, guess what? We have the ability in us to do it because the God himself lives inside of you. Now we have no excuse. We're, we have no excuse on why we can't. It's we choose to not. We fall into our baser nature. So my encouragement to all of us this morning, my encouragement as we get ready to close in prayer is to simply say this. When we walk outside these doors, what does the world see when they see you? See someone that's just like them, no different? Or do they see Christ in you? I struggle because when I look at the mirror, I believe that one day when I look in the mirror, I'll see far less of me and far more of him. Right now, I see still too much of me and not enough of him. I'm in this journey with you, fighting right alongside you. My hope, my passion, my desire, my 
my, my everything in this world is that I become less me and more him. So that one day, loving my enemies is not even a thought. It's not even a... I'm not defined by what I say. It's, it's the, fashion, the definition of what I do. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you that, God, you love us so much that you never leave us in one place. I thank you that, Lord, your passion is to help us grow, to move forward, and to change. Lord, I, I pray this morning as we have heard your word that, God, we walk out of this room with a passion to change the world around us. Let us have bigger eyes. Let us see the world like you see them. In Jesus' name, amen.